0: Hey everyone, this is Fundraiser Maeve, aka Maeve Strathy, Chair of AFP Greater Toronto Chapters Fundraising Day 2019, and I'm delighted to present a podcast from one of many amazing presentations at Fundraising Day 2019. What you're about to hear is, in the moment, Improv Skills for Fundraising Professionals. This was presented by Nicole Malcolm. Nicole has a fascinating background a firm fixture of the BC art scene who has transitioned into the weird and wonderful world of fundraising. Nicole has been practicing improv for 20 years and teaching it for 12, and it's her art and fundraising mix that has allowed her to effectively translate improv skills into usable tools and techniques for fundraising. This was a really fun session, and I hope you enjoy the podcast version. Enjoy Nicole Malcolm and, in the moment, improv skills for fundraising professionals. Hello (laughs) everyone, hello, hi everyone, hello, how was lunch, did everyone, I see all these people with popsicles, where'd you get the popsicles from? Oh, I missed it, okay, I'll just make do with the like four other desserts I have. Uh, So, welcome to In the Moment, Improv Skills for Fundraising Professionals with Nicole Malcolm. Uh, Nicole Malcolm is the Development and Recruitment Manager for the Canadian College of Performing Arts of Victoria, B.C. A passionate advocate for the role of arts in our communities, she is an alumna, it says alumnus, but it's an alumna, uh, of the Opera America Leadership Intensive at NYC and has been active in the BC cultural scene as part of the leadership for Pacific Ocean, sorry, Pacific Opera Victoria, Paper Street Theater, Co, TEDx Victoria, and the Victoria Spoken Word Festival. Clearly, she has a few things she could teach me about speaking in front of people. An improviser storyteller since 1999, she performs regularly with the Paper Street Theater and Victoria's Improv Cabaret. An AFP member since 2012, she is currently completing her MA in Community Development. So just a few things before we get started. Please, 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 when you're done, uh, fill out the applica- uh, the evaluation. There are sheets on the table or you can do it through the app. Um, this is a very social media friendly event. So please tweet with the hashtag, hashtag FD2019. And I would like to bring up our wonderful sponsor, KCI.
1: I was just saying to some folks, it's great that this is the first session after lunch because I feel like we're all going to get revved up a bit. Um, my name's Lindsay Reed. I feel like this has been high. Whoops. Uh, I'm a consultant with KCI, and on, on behalf of my colleagues across the country, I want to welcome you to the second half of Fundraising Day 2019. Um, we all know this, the nature of the Canadian charitable sector is really changing uh, dramatically and irreversibly. There's new ideas, new models, new technologies, new Canadians and there are all kinds of new opportunities, but also with that, lots of great challenges us. So um, at KCI, one of our favorite questions is where do we go from here? We are privileged to work with a number of great clients across the country. I'm sure some of you are even in the room right now. Um, And our greatest joy comes really from partnering with these organizations. And so on behalf of everyone at KCI, we just want to welcome you to this session. Welcome, Nicole, and
2: we'll get on with the improv. So there you go. (laughs) Hi, good afternoon everyone. Um, So great to see so many faces out there. I'm going to just come right out and be honest that I thought there was going to be like 30, 40 people who are gonna come here. So I just reworked uh, my workshop and I'm really excited to have 92 people in the room. Uh, I don't have slides, I don't have a handout. It looks like I have a lot more information than you, but just to fill you in, my first card says, who am I, and then it's blank. So I don't have a lot more information than you have. We're on totally equal footing. Uh, My name's Nicole Malcolm. I come from Victoria, BC. Uh, This has been my first time in Toronto since I was real little and your city is an absolute delight to wander through um, and such a warm space to be in. So thank you guys all so much for that. Um, As was mentioned, I've been doing improv for about 20 years. I've been teaching improv for about 12 years and I've specifically been working and trying to translate some of the skills and the things that I've learned from improv. There's people I can't see. I'm just going to wander my whole time. Um, translate some of the skills that I've learned from improv into usable tools and techniques for people who work in fundraising or in different areas of leadership and management. Because I just think that there's so much that we can learn from improv about collaboration and about being present with the people that we're working with. So why improv? I, first, I want to get a little bit of a read of the room. Here, who here knows what improv is or has seen an improv show? Yeah? Okay, who here has no idea what improv is, has never been, has never? Okay, what, what do we think improv is about? What are some things that we've heard that improv is about? And this is, like, this is the lowest amount of interaction I'm gonna make you guys do. So this is the low bar, and we're gonna work up from here. Yeah, thank you. Being in the moment. Being in the moment, totally it is. And I already wrote that down, that's amazing. Who, what, yes? Saying yes and that's great. What else have we heard improvs about? Listening. What else have we heard improv is about? Yeah, thank you. And what else? I saw another hand. Yeah. Quick thinking, Quick thinking. yeah. Let's get one more. Yeah. Unplanned. Unplanned, great. Okay, so we're going to unpack some of this together right now. And I'm going to talk to you about how some of these things uh, fit into my mode of how I approach fundraising. And hopefully some of that's going to resonate with you. Um, Yes, and. This to me is one of the most important ones. And I've actually, in preparing for this, seen that this is not a new concept to fundraising. People bringing this idea from improv into the work that we do. What I've seen it as though, which I think is so much a way that we think forward all the time in fundraising, is uh, we will say yes to the gift or the person will say, yes, I'll give you a gift. And then we start going, and I'd love to have you thinking about what you want to do next. And I wanna challenge about what that and, means. So what yes and means to me as an improviser is that this is the root of our collaboration. It's not just saying yes to someone. It's bringing something to them afterwards. So you can say yes to someone which doesn't add anything or forward anything. Uh, I want to try a little game right now. I want us to tell a story together and we're going to try. We're going to see where yes gets us. Okay. Um, so do you want to tell a story right now? Yes. Yeah um, Does the story have um, Have an animal in it? Yes. Is it about a little field mouse? Yes. Yeah, and does this field mouse go on its big adventure yes. and Does it travel around the world and does it learn about all kinds of new cultures and other animals? Yes. and does it bring that learning back to its family and other field mice yes. and do they all grow as a community together Okay, so let, sorry, thank you. Thank you for helping me tell that beautiful, heartwarming story. Um, Let's see what happens if we say no. Uh, Do you want to tell a story? No. Great, now the power, uh, so I think we all saw what happened there. Um, The power of and is that and is me saying yes to you, and now adding something to that, so if I give you the power to say and, I'm gonna say yes, uh, do you wanna tell a story together? Yes, and let's have the story be about this. Yes, and you are bu- we are building a story together. It is not just me telling you a story, we're each going to build a, bring a brick and build it piece by piece. So for me in fundraising, the and is not about and what is the next gift, it's the impact. So when we're saying yes in a moment with a donor, that and for me is the, and here's what we can do now. A game that we play in improv that I really like that's a basis of storytelling is called um, uh, uh, (laughs) once upon a time, every day until one day. And because of that, because of that, because of that until then. It is a quick seven-step storytelling game. And that, to me, is the biggest encapsulation of the yes and. As you're going back and forth with people playing this game, the because of is the yes and in that moment. So if you're trying to incorporate yes and into fundraising, I challenge you to think of the and as a because. And now that this gift has happened, or because this moment between us has happened, here's the brick that you have helped bring to our foundation that we are bringing together. It's not about asking for the next brick. It's about acknowledging what has already been brought and the way that the structure has been built upon. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say this is meant to be really interactive and we're going to get more on our feet during this talky talky bit. If you guys have questions or thoughts, please do put up your hands. I don't love talking, just at people. Listening. Listening is one of the biggest keys to improv. And what I think I have been learning the most about listening as I have been training as an improviser is what it actually means to listen and to be present in the conversation. We hear about um, active listening a lot, right? So what are, some, what are some things that we look for in active listening? Or how would you define active listening? Yeah? Head nodding. Head nodding, totally. And I'm seeing a lot of that out here. Body language, right, so like what? So like openness, you're sitting, yeah. To, yeah, for sure, yeah. So yeah, those are both really great examples of ways that we can show that we're active listening. What I wanna talk about is what's happening inside our head when we're active listening. Cause so often we're going into a meeting with an agenda. We're going into a meeting with something we need to accomplish, something we need to say, something that we need to get, something that we need to share and we're up here the whole time. One of my favorite improv writers, Jill Barnhart, um, has this really great uh, little quip that she talks about, about being in your head, and how she hates when people say, get out of your head, because as soon as you start thinking to yourself, get out of my head, well now all of a sudden you're in your head because you're thinking about everything that's in your head and why you're in your head and you're just stuck in your head now, thinking about being in your head and wanting to get out, and it's not helpful. So what she challenges us as improvisers to do, and what I try to keep in mind when I'm working with a donor and trying to be in the moment is, instead of getting out of your head, where can you be instead? Can you be, can you be in your feet? Can you be grounded and present? Can you be in your body and checking in that you're open? Not for nothing, I'm a bit touchy-feely. Can you be in your heart, right? If you are feeling that you're in your head and you're getting caught up in there, where can you, else can you be in your body? Can you be present in the other person's eyes? Now with listening, coming back to that, if you're present, if you're in your body, if you're out of your head, then the next thing that I want to challenge you to do is to think about what you're responding with, what you're waiting for. Because for me, and in improv, listening is the willingness to change. Listening is the willingness to change. So it is the willingness to make an offer to your scene partner, to have them say yes and, and that and might not be the next brick. Ooh, I'll get a different color pen. Might not be the next brick that you are going to bring, but it's the next brick your scene has now. And if you're listening to them, you're going to say yes to their brick. You're going to be changing what your next impulse might have been to continue collaboratively building that scene together. So that's my challenge as as a fundraiser is sometimes I go into those meetings knowing that I need to say this thing, knowing that I know the CEO said that this message had to be delivered, knowing that this exciting thing just happened that I need to pass on. And the whole time that I'm active listening and I'm nodding, And I'm open. I'm just repeating that line over and over again in my head. So how does it change how we're present with our donors if we're listening to respond to what they're saying? There's this great game that we play that if we have time, we'll get to at the end. It's not one of the ones on my post-its on my cue cards. Um, but it's a, it's a back-and-forth game, just a, a sentence-at-a-time story building. And you can't say your line until the person before you finishes their line because you have to start your first word of your sentence with the last letter of the sentence that they, or with the, <laughs> with the last letter their sentence finished with. For me, that has been one of the most challenging improv games to play. And it's not even necessarily about telling a good story or having good characters, but I think as humans, our impulse is so to be there and to want to engage in conversation that we stop listening halfway through somebody telling us something and sharing something that is potentially very important to them because we know what we think they want to hear next. So, for listening for me in improv, and for listening for me in working with donors, I try to think about what am I listening for and what am I listening to respond to? I'm a really big fan of Alan Alda, so sometimes when I have slides, now in my presentations, where just like a really handsome photo of him pops up, because he has this beautiful quote um, talking about listening and conversation, and how what he learned through improv is that if you are just listening, if you are just talking and you're not listening to change or respond to the other person, you are now in a scene where it is just two monologues talking at each other. So how often in our meetings with donors are we sitting in a moment of two monologues as opposed to a dialogue? And how many improv scenes have you seen that are two monologues? instead of a dialogue. Uh, Going with the flow. Going with the flow for me um, is about improv's ability to embrace failure. There's a lot of times that we go into meetings and we don't know what the end's going to be. There's a lot of times that we go in thinking that we're going to make an ask, and you realize it's not the right moment. You realize something has changed. You realize very quickly that it's not going to be the moment that you wanted it to be. Um, Jill, in her book, has another really great um, idiom that she shares. That is, you're never doing the wrong improv exercise. You've just invented a different exercise that has a lesson for another time. So when you're in those moments with donors where you suddenly realize that the conversation's going a different direction than you intended it to go or than you would have maybe planned for it to go, are you sitting in the meeting feeling like it's a failure or are you listening for the opportunity that might be coming from the direction that they've taken it in instead? And it's not just failing, anybody can fail, Failing's really easy. What improv teaches you is the willingness and acceptance to fail. That failure in a moment is not the end of you being a fundraiser or an improviser. That no one scene that you do on stage is the crux of your entire performance. No one donor meeting, no one phone call is the crux of your organization's entire mission. And I think sometimes we feel the weight of that. And I don't want to downplay a lot of the really high stake conversations that we're in, because I know that we are. But if you're in the room with somebody already, there's a shared passion there. And no conversation you're going to have with them is a dead end. Um, So I want to go from there into the unplanned actually, and I'll come back to the quick thinking. Going from going with the flow into unplanned, as much as improv is unplanned, and it is, there is always some kind of structure or what we would refer to as rules. Either there is a game that you are playing, um, whether that's you have to say everything in rhyme, whether that's you have to start your sentence with the letter that the last person sentence ended with, there are always rules that you have to follow improvisers see rules as freeing. When there are rules in an improv game, all that that means is that you can do anything except that. Rules don't limit you. Rules free up your ability to be creative in every other direction. So I try to think about that when I'm working with donors, when I'm going in and something unplanned comes up and I, my instinct is to see it as an obstacle. My instinct is to see it as a no. My instinct is to see it as some kind of rule of where they won't go. And what I challenge myself to do is go, Oh, all that they've done is let me know that anything else is an option they're not interested in this program, or they're not interested in investing in this part of the capital fund, that's okay. There is everything else that is an option. So improvisers use rules to deal with the unplanned and to see every rule as an opportunity for a redirection. How are we doing? Are we ready to get on our feet pretty soon? Or are you like, I didn't realize I was going to have to get on my feet and no, I'm really happy to just stay sitting? Either's fine. I, w- I promise I will not make anybody like come up here and stand up here and do anything that scares them. Um, quick thinking. Quick thinking is fascinating to me. Because do improvisers think quick? Sure. We, we do. It's, it's a, your brain's a muscle, so your brain's going to do whatever you train it to do. And that's something that improvisers think about is, um, or train themselves to do, is how, how to think quickly on their feet but you can do this too. This is not a skill that is unique to improvisers and it's not a skill that takes as long to train as you would think it would. And the way that I would rephrase that and the way that I think of it in fundraising is that when you are in a donor meeting, when you're in a stakeholder meeting, when you're in a meeting with team members trying to come up with a new idea, everything that you need to solve the problems in front of you is in the room with you. When you are in a scene with another person Everything that you need to take the scene a million different directions that it could possibly go is in the room with you. I think a lot of people assume that improvisers are these uh, geniuses that just have a um, huge catalog of pop culture references and historical references. And I have an improviser, uh, friend of mine, who has his PhD in f- political philosophy and he can be exhausting to be on stage with because he's so smart. Um, and that's great. That's what he brings to the stage. I bring different things to the stage. I bring different lived experiences. And every person who is on stage with me has gotten there from somewhere else and has an entire world of experiences that are not mine. So when you look around the room, I think it's easy for us to feel like we know our colleagues and we know what they've been through. We know our donors and we know what they've been through. There are so many lived experiences surrounding you. And the one thing that improv, not the one thing, clearly it's taught me a lot of things. One of the things that improv has taught me is that everything that you need is in the room with you. You have a capacity beyond what you think to brainstorm, to idea, to to think big it's, it. it's, it's in you, and it's in the people around you at your table. I think sometimes we, we think that the answers are outside the room or are somewhere else. Improv challenges me to come back to what's here, and we're going to play a game that's going to bring us back to that. Um, I want us to do some warm-ups. Are we okay to get on our feet? Are we feeling like comfortable? We've had... a bit of time together. We kind of know each other. We kind of don't. There's enough strangers in the room that you can have anonymity, but maybe there's a safe face. Is that where we're at? I want everyone to just stand up and if you don't mind for this exercise, I would love for us to try to get as much into a circle as we can with the tables that we have, knowing it's not going to be a perfect circle. We're going to fail at our circle and that's okay. Uh, No, so a big circle with the whole group. Can we, as a room, make a circle? I really feel like they put this session after lunch super intentionally as soon as I said it was on your feet. All right, now, what I want us to do to start warming up some of these muscles and start getting in our bodies and starting get, start to get in the room, start to get connected with each other. We've got, we've got somewhere around 92 of us in the room. Um, I want us as a group to count to 20. That's all that we're going to do. But here's the rules. We're going to count one number at a time, one voice at a time. So one person is going to say one. Another person is going to say two and so on until we get to 20. If two people say a number at the same time, we're going to start again. I promise you at a certain point, I will stop the game. We will not spend the next hour just trying to count to 20. That is my promise to you. But as a bit of a thought experiment, as a bit of a physical connectivity experiment, let's see if we as a group can count to 20. And if you feel that you're the person who is supposed to say, one, Ah, when... oh, oh. Okay, ready? Let's take a big breath in. Out. One, two, three. Oh, but we got further. That's a celebration we got, further. Ready? One. <laughs> Uh, We failed, and that's okay. Let's try one more time. Let's see where we can go one more time. Ready? (sighs) First of all, I want to let you guys know this is the largest group I've ever tried this with, and you're doing great. Um, I do, (laughs) I want to ask you number one, how are you feeling? Like, just what a, yeah. So you know, it's like every single time I do this game, someone asks this. Yeah, totally. It's not a rule that you can't. One person could also just count to 20 as fast as they could. Not a rule I didn't say. Um, my response to that is usually, does that break the game? And the only way that we can find the answer is by discussing what we think this game is about. So why would I make you do this? And let's, let's again, let's start from a, from a point of like, this is a stupid, stupid game. Every game that I make you do today is so low stakes, and I just want to acknowledge that I'm looking around the room, and a solid third of you are like, ah, and like your shoulders are up here. So for those of you who are like frozen, um, or have to pee so bad all of a sudden, I just want to let you know, this is a stupid game, and like will not affect your, Career or your family life or anything at all. So this is part of the learning of today Is how do we feel in these moments where we feel put on the spot and if you start practicing? Low-stake anxiety moments like this where you can talk yourself down and be like she's making us count to 20 This is a stupid game. Why can't I breathe? How does that start getting you flexing the different muscles and getting an awareness in your body? That's just gonna make you more present when you're with your donors, because you can start unpacking all of this garbage that our very human bodies make us go through when they put us in fight or flight mode when someone asks you to count to 20. Um, So yeah, we could totally just go and count off the first 20 people. But what do we think that this game is about? Yeah. Sure, totally. So what kind of active listening are we doing as we're playing this game together? Anyone else? And I do apologize because there's always a post between me and some people, so I'm gonna keep wandering. Is there a hand back there? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh,
1: Just just
2: coordination. Uh, How, in what way? <laughs> oh, oh, I did not call your, your brain garbage brains. I called your bodies garbage human bodies that put you in stressful situations. The brain is beautiful. All the rest of the hormones are insane and like not necessary when we have very few predators anymore. Uh, yes? I think that, said, with yeah. a smaller group where you actually see more clearly. I love. Okay. Did everyone hear that? So she was talking about how, in a, um, uh, in a, lar- in a smaller group and in a larger group, there is this, this sense of trying to get a, a, a sense of who needs to speak and whose turn it is to speak. And in a smaller group, you really do have to sort of calibrate do I need to speak or does someone else need to speak? Whose turn is it? Yeah? And you can see. That. And you can see. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So she was talking about eye contact, too. And, and um, in this room, it's so big, it's hard. So I would actually love if everybody could grab the five people nearest you and make groups of, like, six. Don't be precious. We're all friends. We're going to mix it up. Just literally grab six-ish people near you and make a tiny circle. Like, if you're eight, if you're four, that's fine. I got a
0: handheld mic, so. Talking, I can run over to them with it. Oh, oh, thank you. Okay, awesome.
2: Great, awesome, thank you. Um, so, I want you guys to think of this again. And what I want you to think of is think of that eye contact, think of that active, active listening, think of whose turn it is. Because I feel like when we're in rooms, we always feel the need to fill space and to talk. But is it your turn? And that goes both ways. Sometimes you're going to think, Is it my turn? You're going to be like, Nope. Someone else needs this space, or someone else hasn't come forward yet and entered this space. Sometimes you're the one who hasn't spoken, and if nobody's speaking, then it is your turn and they're waiting for you. And the only way that you can tell that is by making eye contact and really checking in with the people that are in your group. So often I play this group with game or this, this game with a group, and you'll go, okay, count to 20, and everyone goes, okay. <sighs> and just like zones in and just wants to like feel the count to 20. <laughs> So I encourage you that this game will go much better if you make eye contact and acknowledge that you're with other humans doing this game. So let's try this for just like two minutes. Let's see if you can count to 20 within your group. You might want to get real close to each other, (laughs) real friendly.
0: You guys just got this
2: room. Let's try to, let's bring it back together into the bigger circle, back into the bigger circle. So, lots of people were applauding, which means either you did it and you counted to 20 or you heard other people applauding, you're like, we're just going to clap too. We also did it. Uh, And I won't call you out on that. That's lovely. Celebrate yourselves always. Yay. (laughs) Perfect. How did that feel? Did it change being in a smaller group? yeah what changed for you guys The
1: eye contact
2: was yeah really critical i thought yeah
0: you could see like people's body language too
2: mm-hmm. So are, are you wanting to yes, get around
0: when i'm like ready but i don't want
2: to be like running so <laughs> Is just
0: so we can hear each other i have a mic so
2: just give me a second and i can run over if that's okay great sorry. you know that's okay so uh so eye contact you said we were able to hear each other's body language what yeah sorry. like yeah, notice people's body language more easily. Sorry. Uh, you can notice What's people's another? body language
0: more easily. Hey. Anyone else? Yeah. Oh, oh wait, we're going to run. Uh, no, it's OK. Uh, we built a pattern. So we essentially gave was like one, two, and then we kind of took.
1: So the next, the one was seven and the two was eight. And so we built the same pattern three times around and then yeah. a little bit extra. So yeah. that worked for
2: us great. And that's all totally great. Like again, theres I gave you very clear and very few rules. And other than that, how you all decide to play the game together is your way of unpacking and working together as a team. and I encourage that. Um, do you feel a little bit more connected? Yeah. Okay. We're gonna play another uh, silly game. I'm actually really excited because I've never played this game with this many people before either, and I'm going to come down here on the floor with you to do it. Um, In my hand, I have a red ball. Yeah? It's just like it's it's not huge. It's not very heavy. It's just a little red ball. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to find somebody, and I'm going to give them this red ball, and I'm going to say, this is a red ball. And he's going to say back to me, this is a red ball, to accept the red ball. This is a red ball. Amazing. Thank you so much. A round of applause for the beautiful accepting of the Red Ball. Now what you're going to do is you're going to find somebody around the room to give that Red Ball to. And you're going to walk to them, and you're going to say, this is a Red Ball. And they're going to accept it by saying, this is a Red Ball. Yeah? This is, you, everyone just needs to acknowledge, this is a very scary thing. <laughs> this is a Red Ball. Yay. Okay, so hold on to that red ball for a quick second. I'm going to add one more thing. I'm going to start on this side of the room since everyone's scared to cross the room. Um, So this is a lunchbox. (laughs) This is a lunchbox. Thank you. So we now have a red ball and we have a lunchbox. We're going to keep passing those around the room. I'm going to try to make a different physical stance of some sort for each of those. And we're going to see how many objects we can get passing around the room. Now, what I want you to do, similar to the last game that we played, try to keep an awareness of the room. Um, this, am I going to tell you the lesson? Yeah, I'm going to tell you the lesson first. <laughs> and then we'll play the game and you'll learn it. It's, I'm a really good teacher. Um, so this game for me, especially in a group this big and why I was so excited, I love that you're still just holding the red ball so beautifully. <laughs> Thank you. its I love it. Um, commitment. Um, What this game is about for me with a group this big is how many times are we in events with donors or like a big gala or whatever, and you're just over, sorry, you're not overwhelmed because you're professionals and you're all really good at your job, but you're a little bit overwhelmed by just the size of the room and the amount of people that you have to host. So I want you to feel like this is that kind of scenario. And I want you to look around the room and think, who needs this red ball? Or who needs this lunchbox that you have to give? Who, hasn't, who maybe looks like they haven't engaged yet or that they need something, and have that be the way that you play the game and see what that means to try to make that connection with someone. Okay, So you guys can start going with your lunchbox and red ball, and I'm going to keep adding some things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a little bird. Yeah. <laughs> This is an umbrella. This is an
1: umbrella.
2: This is an egg. This is an egg. This is a horse. Yeah. I'll take think. This is a kitten.
1: This
2: is a, <laughs> this is a toothpick. Okay. Uh, this is a necklace. So this is a necklace.
1: Thank you. <laughs> this is a necklace.
2: Thank you. And now you can go pass it on someone. This <laughs> is a yellow balloon.
0: This is a yellow balloon.
2: This is a crown. <gasps> This is a crew. This is a big bowl of pasta. This is a big bowl of pasta. <laughs> yeah. All right. If you have not yet received a thing, put your hand up in the air. And if you want to. If you don't want to, that's okay. If you have not yet received a thing. on the circle. A kitten. A kitten. A necklace. A necklace. Oh, a lunch box. A lunch box. Bowl of pasta. Big bowl of pasta. <laughs> a horse. A horse. <laughs> <laughs> the, red uh, the red ball. Oh, the red ball. What's over here? An egg. An egg. A toothpick. A, toothpick. A, yellow a yellow balloon. A crown. Umbrella. Umbrella. A little bird. Yeah, you guys, we didn't lose anything, which means everybody played. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so that got us a bit more in our bodies. And this is the next thing that I want to talk about. As improvisers, we are very aware of the energy that we bring onto stage and our ability to affect the improvisers who are already on stage or who are going to join us. We talk about that there's two ways to interact with your scene partner. You can either show polar opposites or you can mirror each other. So either you can have two really high energy characters that are feeding off of each other, or you have a high energy and a low energy so that you're showing the difference between those two. But for me, the big takeaway is that we as improvisers and we as humans, and as fundraisers who are humans, have the ability to choose how we enter every room. We don't have the ability to decide how people see us when we enter the room, but we do indeed have the ability to choose how we enter the room. Now, another thing that is uh, pretty typical of humans is that our default tends to be to mimic a little bit. How often have you been talking with someone and you suddenly realize that you're leaning on their hand on your hand, not on their hands. <laughs> maybe you're, you're real close with your donors, maybe. Um, that you're leaning on your hand because they were leaning on their hands. Or that when someone takes a drink of water, you take a drink of water. We as humans, if we are trying to be empathetic and if we're trying to connect with somebody, we will mimic them subconsciously. And I suggest to you that you can use that to your advantage and you can do it consciously. You can take control of that moment and you can decide Are you being open? Are you being present? And try to set the tone that somebody else will then want to mimic. If somebody is closed off, you do not have to take that on. They're not always going to mimic you, but you have the choice in that moment. So I want us all to just walk around the room. So everyone, just free flow walk, I'll start. Free flow, just walk and wander, fill up the space. And I want you to think about I want you to think about your body as you're walking. I want you to think about where your center of gravity is, how your feet hit the ground, where your hands are, where your eyes' gaze is. Now I want you to check in with yourself and think about, if I was a shy person, how would I walk? So somebody who is nervous or timid or scared, how does that change your shoulders? How does that change your eye gaze? Does it change the speed of your walk? Does it change the length of your gait? Are your feet dragging? Do you feel yourself pulling away from the rest of the people in the room? Now, if this is a 4 on a scale of 10, take that up to a 7. How can you amplify that change in your body and feel where your weight is sitting. Feel what's leading your body. Is it your shoulders because you're so hunched over? Is it your feet because the rest of you is just dragging behind? Now, if this is a 7, take that up to a 10. Okay. Now I want everyone to stop. Take a deep breath in, deep breath out, and back to neutral. So walking like you were before how you would normally walk. Do you feel a difference? Do you feel a little shift in your body? Are you still holding on a little bit to maybe some of the, the anxiety or nervousness from the last way we were walking? Now I want you to think about how a confident person walks, like the, like the stereotype, like the ridiculous stereotype of how a movie would show a confident person walking, <laughs> the type of way that you would never walk because you would look so ridiculous if you did it in real life. But what does that look like? Are your hips swaying? Are your shoulders back? Are you walking faster? Are you taking more space? Now I want to challenge that even though I I set it up with a bit of negativity, um, being confident doesn't have to be negative. There can be a certain positive ownership of yourself in confidence um, and excitement. How do you make eye contact with other people if you are joyfully confident? Now, if this is a 4 on a scale of 10, ramp that up to a 7. Can you take up more space?
0: <laughs>
2: and can you feel taller? Can you feel yourself connecting up to the ceiling? And if this is a 7, take that up to a 10. Now, walking around, try to make eye contact with people. And acknowledge them. There are other humans in the room. You're not doing this alone. Say hello. You can interact with people. Hi. Hello. Hello. There. hello. <laughs> right? Okay. And now, oh, hi. <laughs> now let's stop where we are again. Take a deep breath in. Take a deep breath out. And now look around the room at everybody. Those are little shifts that you can make in your own awareness of your body before you go into a meeting, of your own awareness of where you're carrying tension and the way that your own insecurities might be, against your will, manifesting themselves. And if you're entering a room where people are going to be looking to you for leadership and are going to be looking to you for guidance and inspiration, how can you be aware of what energy you're giving off for them to hopefully mimic. And how can that help you take control of that moment? Yeah? How do we feel? Are there any thoughts, observations, feelings, concerns, people wishing they were in another session where they could just like sit and digest lunch? (laughs) (laughs) No? Okay. where are we at? How are we doing? Um, Let's go back to our tables. I think the next things we're going to do, we can do at our tables. I've got about 15, 20 minutes left. How's everybody doing? Good? Okay. One of the founders of improvisation, Keith Johnstone, um, wrote a beautiful book called Impro, which is a lovely read if you're ever looking to just get into understanding some of the, I guess, psychology and human reasoning behind improv and why improvisers think the way that we do. He talks about this really uh, fascinating study that happened in the 1960s where they brought in a bunch of individuals to do a creativity study. What they gave them was a piece of paper that had a line on it. And then they told them to finish that drawing. Initially, the people who came in were all business people, suits, if you will. Um, For for the people listening to the podcast later, I just did air quotes, if my voice didn't imply that, Um, all these suits who came in to do this creativity study. Every single one of them finished the line by maybe making it an A or making it a tree. They then took the second group of this same demographic that they were putting through the study and told them, we want you to imagine that you're an artist. We want you to imagine that you're a creative person, that you're a musician, that you're an architect, that you are somebody who creates things. And after telling them that, had them do the same exercise and gave them that same piece of paper. There was nothing about this group that made them different than the other group other than they were told to imagine themselves as creative beings. And they created huge, detailed pictures. A single line would turn into a train driving through a tunnel. It would turn into a flagpole in the middle of a football field. It manifested in all of these hugely creative ways only because those people were told to imagine that they were creative. So in the same way that we have control over the way our bodies enter a space, I firmly believe that we have control over the way our presence of mind and our belief in what we can bring to a moment, how that enters a space. How does going into a meeting change for you? If you start by thinking about where you are in your body, and you start by telling yourself that you are a leader, that you are a visionary, that you are a creator, that you are a collaborator, that you are a listener, what do those affirmations, which are probably all true anyways, and that you've just not given yourself time to sit on? Because if you're here at this conference working for the incredible organizations that you are all working for, you are leaders. You are creators, you are visionaries, but how often do you tell yourself that? And how often do you give yourself permission to walk into a room embodying that? And if you're worried that that's like a bit much to take that on, you don't have to say it out loud to everyone. I'm not saying that you have to walk into a room and proclaim yourself a visionary collaborator before you start a meeting. This is work that you can do for you. So it can feel as true or as false in that moment as it might feel because there are times when I'm standing off stage before an improv show terrified. And I have to say to myself over and over again, I'm a storyteller. I'm a storyteller. I'm a storyteller, and I'm standing there backstage, and I know in my head I'm like, you don't have any stories. You've told all your stories. You're like, your stories are done and dried up. you wasted them in your 20s. You're like, <laughs> lies, all lies. Your brain's going to tell you lies anyways <laughs> if you have any kind of anxiety, which all of us humans do. Um, you, so set that tone. How can you be intentional about it? Improv is about intention. It is about the intention to connect with another person. It is about the intention to enter stage, bringing something to the person who is there so that you can build together. It is not a passive art form. And the work that we do with our donors, with our stakeholders, with our teammates, cannot be passive work. We are called to be intentional. And I think that we we deserve more time being intentional about ourselves as humans. How much time do we have? It's twenty-two degrees out, and it is three ten. Okay. <laughs> um, Raise of hands, what do you guys need? Do you want, because I've got I've got all these little yellow post-its, which are each different activities that we could play that are all great for their own reasons. Do you want to use this opportunity to do some storytelling and learn about each other a little bit more? Do you want to play some more specifically connection games, like the, the count to 20? How can this time be useful for you guys? Show of hand, like small, collaborative, speaky, storytelling games, yeah? Like, hi- higher, just bravely ba- bravely declare what you need. I give you the space and permission to do that, OK. And who wants to play more like the count to 20 red ball kind of things? Raise your hands. OK, let's do this. Do you guys mind switching a little bit? And I am happy to divide you, because we're going to do some small work. And then you'll actually both get to learn them. But then you'll each get like five, 10 minutes to play the games in your group, yeah? So everybody, <laughs> thanks for just like rolling with the punches with me. I, I want to make sure that you guys all get to take away. I'm saying guys all the time bad, that you all get the opportunity to take away what you need from this workshop. So if everybody who wants to do more storytelling and like small work around the tables for the last 10 minutes wants to come over to this side of the room, and if you're wanting to play some more of those count to 20 red ball kind of games, come over here. I'll explain both of the games, and then I'll come and I'll walk around the tables as well. And while we're walking and shifting, I'll talk a little bit about where we're going to with those. So this side of the room, if you want to do some storytelling things, and this side of the room, if you want to do some more specific skills, shorter games. As we settle in our tables, there's one quote that I really want to read um, from Uh, Jill Bernard's book and if you have time and you want to take a look at this later It's literally a seven and a half minute read and hugely insightful and she's a beautiful doodler So like it's aesthetically really pleasing to read, but this to me uh, I I read this to myself (laughs) Almost every time before I am about to do a new show like when my company's about to do a new production and I'm feeling particularly nervous about it, I will read this passage over and over again, which you would think I would have it memorized, but I don't because I'm always reading it when I'm really nervous and nothing sticks. So this is called The Best Improviser in the World. Think about this. Any night, a certain number of improvisers are improvising, all at the same time around the globe, with different time zones. In any given second of any hour of performance, you may be making the smartest improv choice of any of them. Maybe every other improviser is making choices between terrible and okay, and you're in the middle of making a really good move. Maybe TJ just, just sneezed. Even if you are a super beginner in this second, maybe you're being honest and refreshing and truthful, and it's wonderful. Therefore, in any given second, you may be the best improviser in the world. I'm seeing a lot of nodding heads. I can say what that means to me, but does anybody want to speak about if that resonated to you or if there was something in there that made you nod your head or if you're just practicing active listening and that's fine too. This is a safe space. I won't call on anybody who doesn't put their hands up. Yeah. So for me, I know that there are fundraisers in town who are better fundraisers than me I know, especially being at a new organization again, that there are people at other organizations who understand and are able to elevate or pitch their mission better than me. I know that there are fundraisers who have better relationships with a specific donor than maybe the donor who I'm going to meet right now. And this for me is permission to not carry any of that baggage into that room. That whatever else is happening, whatever else has happened to me that day, to give myself permission to assume that the meeting that I'm about to go into might be the best, most fun, most engaging, most insightful, most inspiring conversation that's happening in the whole world. And again, it might not be true, but it might be. And what if it is and if I didn't take the the moment to acknowledge that? Or what if it is and I didn't give the moment the permission to be that? Yeah? Okay, so the group that is over on this side, Uh, and you know, and if you guys change and collectively as a table you decide that sounds fun, we want to do that, like change, I'm not your boss. Um, Over here, what I would love for you to do is play a little game called Five Things. So around the table, you are going to uh, pick a category and you're This is a, it's a bit of a call-out game. You're going to point to one person, and you're going to say, for example, um, vegetables. And when you point at that person, they're going to, as fast as they can, list five vegetables. That's all. If you say tomato, that's OK. You can fail in this game. Tomato's a fruit. But <laughs> it's, it's a stupid game. It doesn't matter. It is about getting you to think quickly on your feet. Yeah? So you guys are going to play five things. One of you is going to say a category and point to someone else, and that person is going to list off five things as quickly as they can. What I want you guys to do is to practice hearing and sharing stories. And I want you to practice how you bring everything that we've talked about and shared or I've talked at you about um, today to this. So at your tables, I want you to partner up. I want you to three person up and I want you to share with another person a story about your life that got you to where you are now. That can be about your organization. That can can be something that you're proud about, that you're doing at work. It can be a story about your kids. It can be a story about your kitten. It can be a story about this amazing lasagna you made the other night. Something that is meaningful to you, that is going to engage you, and that is going to put you in a place where you're comfortable practicing the openness that we've been playing with today. So, you guys are gonna start that storytelling exercise and try to, when you're listening, be as present as you can. How can you listen and hold on to this knowing that you don't have to respond to the person with anything? So, you are just there to absorb what's being shared with you. So, you're gonna tell a story, uh, partner up and tell a story back and forth. And you guys are gonna play five things. Ready? What's that? With your tables. Yeah, thank you. All right, storyteller groups, if you haven't switched with your partner yet, switch with your partner. All right, and storytellers, wrap up your stories. And list makers, wrap up your lists. (laughs) All right, so we're now going to take both of these activities and we're gonna level them up to the next level. Yeah, yeah, there's 10 minutes left. We have at least one, if not two more levels to get through for both sides of the room. So storytellers, you're going to, either stay at your same table, or maybe if you're at table two, you're gonna have to mix and mingle. You're going to thank the person who just shared the story with you, and you are going to hold on to their story. Um, I intentionally don't say take, it's not your story to take, but you're going to hold on to their story. yeah, And you're going to share that story with somebody else from first-person point of view as if it's your story. And if you weren't actually listening and you don't remember anything, well, now you're an improviser. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to try to get through as much of, as what you remember of the moments in the story that either you think were very important to that person or that really resonated with you. It's not going to be the same story word for word. And that's okay. Now that you've gone through that first bit, my like gotcha moment is this is a lesson in how we tell our stories in so many different ways. And it's a listening exercise for you guys to, sorry, unpack that, for all of you as a team to start understanding what you listen to when you're listening, how much people's body language affects what you're listening to, what it means when their eyes light up, so that you can start translating that as well to how you tell stories in a very personal, human, present way. Yeah? And again, if you don't remember the story at all, make it up. No one's going to know. It'll be fine. Tell another one of your stories. I'm not here to get mad at you for that. Try to tell the story you could. So you guys are going to switch, thank the person, and switch. But we're just going to keep it, oh, this side of the room. Shh, 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 We're just going to keep it quiet for a little second, because I'm going to explain to these guys what you guys are do, going to do. So you guys are going to play a game called Clams Are Great. Yeah? So here's what you're going to do. As a table, you're all going to take some time to declare why clams are great. So really quickly as a group, we're going to brainstorm. What's a reason that, a, that clams are great? Because they taste good, yeah. That's a, so what you're going to do is one of you who has a reason that you think clams are great, you're going to put your hand in the middle of the table and you're going to say, clams are great because they taste good. And everybody around the table is going to go, yeah, and agree with you, like full-heartedly with every part of them agree with you. Yeah. Now the catch is, you're going to keep listing reasons why clams are great until someone tags your hand And then they will start listing why clams are great. Now, people in the table whose hands aren't in the middle, please be kind and do tag someone out. (laughs) And here's the permission that I'm going to give you. It doesn't have to be real reasons that clams are great. Okay? It doesn't have to be real reasons that clams are great. But I want you to see where your brain goes and why, and then we're going to talk about that a little bit. So you guys are going to play clams are great. First person, who's the bravest person in this moment, is going to put their hands in the middle of the table and declare why they think clams are great. And then somebody else is going to be their best friend and tag them out. Yeah? All right. Stories. Clams. Let's go. Storytellers, if you haven't switched yet, make sure you switch. wrapping up your stories. all right let's bring that back together let's bring that all back in (laughs) how are we doing storytellers how are we feeling over here yeah thumbs up yeah any thoughts any insights any reflections any unpacked anxieties you didn't know that you had that you're like now i need to deal with this thanks yeah
0: Yeah. are saying political science you're
2: like, no, law, the person is law. So no, it's great. Very hard to keep focused. I love that. So as you were trying to continue to hold that other person's story in your head, what what did you find that helped you remember the bits of the story? Like what the the moments that you clicked and that you remembered, what techniques did you end up using or what helped those moments resonate for you that they still stayed?
1: Mm. really scary at that point where we're geographically located so someone else's story talking about a location oh that sparks something yes my person is from this place or
2: so hey. those commonalities made it easier to remember that's beautiful or, yeah finding the commonalities between your person's story and the other and your story and the other person's story that's beautiful i think that we can all strive to do that more in like life right that's lovely thank you so much uh, anybody else from the storytellers yeah Yeah. Oh oh you guys, like combined the stories as you were telling but oh. <laughs> I love it. There's like there's a short story in there somewhere, that's beautiful.
0: Anyone else
2: over here? Yeah, thank you.
0: tell that story in the way that you would communicate that kind Mm. of
2: feeling. Yeah, so whether you remembered the words or not, you remembered the sentiment. And then you were able to use your own words to still express that same sentiment. Totally, I think that's beautiful. All right, clams are great people. How did that weird game feel? It was fun. It was fun, yeah? Great. I do like that. Like, clams are great because they adopt dogs. They don't buy them. <laughs> yeah, <they laughs> Sorry. <are>. Yeah. <laughs> Was there any thoughts, insights, feelings came up from that? Uh, clams are great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So, thinking that head, yeah. similar sort of story, like you're thinking, as a person going in
2: you're going to respond, what am I going to say next? Sure. Yeah, so I have a question for you about that then, especially because you guys are playing that game for quite some time. Where did you start getting the ideas for wh- for uh, why clams are great? Like where did that come from for you? Sometimes off the other person, they say
1: the you go they oh, like water, they like
2: swimming, and they're like that, you know? I love that. Thank you. So sometimes off the other person, if they said clams love water, you were like, Okay, I, they love swimming. They love other things that are water totally drawing inspiration from the people that are at your table anything else yeah i feel like um, this happens often when we get into like a brainstorm or collaboration session and like you just run out of ideas sure and so that's when i think like this silly fun creative stuff starts to come up yeah Yeah. That it either becomes something different mm. or like it. Do, 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 does make any sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, talking about how sometimes you just run against a wall when you run out of ideas, and either you have to say, okay, we're done now, or you go a completely different direction, and you all embrace going into the silliness or going into somewhere. So, when you found that moment, what new track did you find yourself on, or where were you drawing inspiration from instead? Well, I think that like, then there were like, sort of shared experiences. And yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So instead of it being just about like whether the clam came from water or tasted good or went well with pasta, <laughs> it became more about like the, um, the
0: attributes mm. that like we all
2: obviously um, carried within ourselves and then we were sharing those. I love that. Thank you. So it was about starting to find the shared attributes or shared values around the table. So this to me is such a great example of that everything that you need is in the room or around the table. Whether that's you drawing on your lived experiences of clams are great because they love bicycles, because you love riding bicycles, that's great. Whether it's inspired off of somebody else at your table, but clams are great because they stack chairs well, and you literally just got that because you're like, oh, there's two chairs and they're stacked in the corner. Like Everything that you need to keep playing this game, I guarantee you is in the room. Yeah? Um, I want to ask you a question. How did it feel to just get that affirmation back no matter what you said? Loved it. it yeah. Loved it. Yeah. How did it feel to just know that you were there to give that affirmation? Yeah. So this game to me is also such a great warm-up uh, and such a great reminder for teams of the being the cheerleader. And it's one thing to it's one thing to actively listen and like nod along, but sometimes that verbal Acknowledgement that verbal, I see you and I hear you. As humans, we don't get that a whole heck of a lot. And this game, to me, is a great reminder that it's not only good to hear that, it sure as heck feels good to be the person who takes on the responsibility to give that and to say, yes, I'm going to be here and I'm going to champion someone. Yes, I'm going to be here and I'm going to buy into their beliefs because we share this value. And I'm going to make sure that I articulate that to them. Yeah? Okay. We're like, these clocks are saying two different times. So I'm going to give you an option of how you can continue both of these games if you want. But I'm also going to give you the freedom to go drink coffee, because that's real important. Um, Or water. (laughs) Maybe water is more important. Maybe go drink water, not coffee. Um, Bad life choices most of the time. It's fine. Um, So with you guys, uh, with you on this side of the room, what I would love this group of individuals to do is to take that story and share it a third time and really lock into that emotional. Or conversely, to go back to that person who you had the first sharing with and to talk about your experience of holding place for their story and what resonated with you. Maybe this is a great time to give reflection on that. So I give you the encouragement to go one of those two angles. With you guys, a really fun game to break this into two people if you want to carry this into the break, to take those two games and combine them together. This is how I brainstorm and break out things with my team a lot and an improv a lot, which is where we're going to sit beside each other. Kyla, Kyla? Kayla? Kayla. Oh my god, so sorry. Okay. So Kayla is going to say a word to me that is something about her organization's mission, something about her organization's work. So give me an example. Books. Books. So I'm going to take the word books and I'm going to go paper, binding, language, um, narrative. Storytelling. She's going to take one of those five words and riff for a minute off of her company's mission mandate, her work, around the five words I gave. Again, we don't have time to play this now because I talk too long. But that is the next level on this exercise that I use to try to get active listening in with my groups so that you can hear, you can say something to a donor and they might give you five different doors that they open that you can walk through that might not be what you thought you wanted to talk about. But whatever you said, how does it inspire them? And how do you then go down that path? Right? So that would be the next level. Um, everyone, thank you so much for your presence today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for playing these silly games with me. I hope you had a fun time. I hope you took something away. I hope you have a great rest of your afternoon. And we will see you out there in the hallway. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. <laughs> this was honestly one of the best sessions I've ever ever been to. My Aww. face hurts from smiling. Um, on behalf of AFP, we have a small token of our appreciation, oh, thank you. and we'll be making a donation to the charity of your choice. Thank you so uh, much. Thank you again, and um, everyone, please, please, please. This was such an incredible session. Please fill out your evaluation. It really helps AFP, it really helps Nicole. Um, And enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thank you all so much. Oh, thank
2: you.